Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. This week, we're going to do our normal headlines, but we're also going to look back on two recent conversations. In segment three, Ted Leonsis. He's the owner of the NHL's Washington Capitals. He's also got a piece of the NBA's Washington Wizards. Brilliant man. One of the founders of AOL. Great conversation with him a few months ago. We will re-air that conversation. That's coming up in segment three. In segment four, David Falk. He is best known as the agent for NBA superstar Michael Jordan. Also represents Coach Mike Krzyzewski, Coach John Thompson, Alonzo Mourning, and a number of other people. Interesting book that he's got out, and we will talk to David Falk in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend. Follow me via Twitter. Just visit my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com and link to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach and Bobby Corser. Uh, Nathan, this Phoenix Coyotes NHL mess gets more complicated by the day, and it took several twists and turns this week. Well, and here's the thing about the NHL. We bash it all the time, and I know we're going to get to this in headlines, but the NHL is doing better than we thought as as far as ratings is concerned. So this might be a bigger deal with that regard as well. Well, and Sweet Success, a new segment here on Sports Business Radio sponsored by Moose Tracks Ice Cream. Maybe we might even give some uh, some success, some kudos wow. to the NHL. I know this this is groundbreaking stuff here on Sports Business Radio. Anyone looking for me to uh, give any uh, kudos to Commissioner Gary Bettman? Not going to happen. Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Selig, not going to happen. But there will be some kudos thrown out today that are are very rare. Hey, did you guys get a chance to listen to uh, Roger Clemens this week? Uh, He continues to stick to his story, vehemently denies using performance-enhancing drugs. Either this guy is just a defiant liar, or maybe he's telling the truth. Well, you know, I'm actually starting to believe him a little bit, believe it or not. The fact that he continues to deny it so hard... It makes me want to believe him a little bit more. I don't. I don't know. What do you, What do you think? What do you guys think? Drop me an email at Brian at Sports Business Radio. All right, headlines coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry, but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, 
passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the battle between the NHL and the Phoenix Coyotes continues. On Tuesday, the NHL filed a motion in U.S. bankruptcy court in Phoenix objecting to an order to tell all it knows about an offer from White Sox and Bulls owner Jerry Reinsdorf to buy the Phoenix Coyotes and keep the team in Arizona. The NHL motion says that Coyotes owner Jerry Moyes' attorneys shouldn't be allowed to ask for anything on the team's behalf because the NHL is controlling the team and only its lawyers should be involved. Quote, now, Nathan, we talked on the show last week. This is a really interesting story. Again, in a nutshell, you've got the NHL who has run the Coyotes since last November because the Coyotes defaulted on payments. They couldn't make payroll. They basically were losing millions of dollars. But then recently, two different deals were done to sell the team. The NHL apparently has been talking to Jerry Reinsdorf about keeping the team in Phoenix. And... uh, Jerry Moyes, the owner of the Coyotes, was off making his own deal with Jim Balselli, who is the CEO of BlackBerry, and Balselli wants to move the team to Ontario. This is going to be interesting to see how this turns out, because basically what I think is going to happen here is the court is going to say, okay, NHL, we're calling your bluff. Do you really have a buyer? Because if you don't, we're going to let Jerry Moyes sell the Coyotes to Jim Balselli. Well, the fact of the matter is this. From the NHL's sake, it's better if the team goes to Canada. I think they'll have a much bigger following up there than they do in Phoenix. So from that perspective, we talk all the time about how important it is for the NHL to gain some exposure and to get some support behind the, from the fans. So I think it's best if they move to Canada. Now, what happens, we'll have to wait and see, but uh, I hope they go to Canada for the NHL's sake. Well, again, over 100,000 people have gone onto a website created by Jim Balselli to uh, levy their support for an NHL team in Ontario. So lots of support up in Canada. Really not very much support in Phoenix except for, uh, you know, a few people that got together for a rally this week. But uh, I don't know that it's ever good for a league if a franchise files bankruptcy and then has to relocate. But I do agree with you that NHL hockey is much better in Canada than it is in Phoenix, Arizona. And I can say, because I lived in Phoenix, Arizona, that's where I was born and raised, and NHL hockey, uh, not real popular. There. Well, unless you just want to go into the uh, the stadium to cool off a little bit, I guess. Exactly. I used to go do some ice skating during the uh, summer months. That's to... very Brian Boitano of you. Yes. Some of my friends called me Brian Boitano. Quick story. I went to New York a few years ago, went to Rockefeller Center, and uh, laced up the skates, went ice skating there. And that's the nickname exactly that some of my friends gave me you with put Brian Boitano. Did you put some bedazzle on you? No bedazzle. No, none of that. All right, our next headline. Let's get off this topic. NFL Players Association Executive Director Demore Smith this week said that his contract has been completed. Smith was elected in March and worked several weeks without a contract. This was kind of a topic of conversation. A lot of people thought the NFL kind of threw this out there in the media to show that there was maybe some discord between their leader, the NFL Players Association leader Smith, and the people who elected him. He said that was overblown. He's got a deal done, and 
it's probably not going to be too long before Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, and Demore Smith get together and start working on a new collective bargaining agreement. Well, and it's so important right now because there is the potential for a work stoppage here in the not-so-distant future. So he's got a big job ahead of him. So he wants to get all this stuff behind him and move forward with keeping play. All right, our next headline, NASCAR driver Jeremy Mayfield was among three people suspended immediately and indefinitely last Saturday for violating NASCAR substance abuse policy. All three had taken part in a random drug test administered May 1st during race weekend at Richmond International Raceway. NASCAR officials would not identify the substance Mayfield was using. We bring in Bobby Corser, our producer and our resident auto racing expert. Bobby, this is the first time that a NASCAR driver has been suspended for, uh, I don't know, substance, yeah, but sub- substance abuse policy. Some people say that Mayfield may not return to racing because his infraction was so severe. But, you know, we hear about Manny Ramirez, Roger Clemens, all these people. What would a NASCAR driver use to enhance their performance? Was this even performance enhancing or was it something else? You know, it, it could be in any substance. It could be alcohol. It could be, you know... a Speed. Yeah, it could be speed. You know, the thing that people are saying now is a lot of people are taking child pills, riddle and stuff like that, crushing up and snorting it because what it is is it makes you focus. And if it's Bobby, not, you know way too much. No, but here's it. the thing. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> truck drivers, truck drivers nationwide are notorious for taking yeah. speed to keep them focused, keep them awake. God, and remind so me to stay away from those people on the road. And college baseball players, same thing. It's a, And I'm not saying, you know, everybody does it, but it's just one of the things where it's easily available and people do it. It just it increases your focus. Well, in a statement, Mayfield said that he believed, and I quote, a combination of a prescribed medicine and an over-the-counter medication reacted together to result in a positive test. I swear to you, between Manny Ramirez, Roger Clemens, A-Rod, and now this guy, it's like the dog ate my homework excuse. I, I'm so sick and tired of, well, I mixed this and that, and geez, it resulted in a positive test. You don't think that these world-class athletes don't know what they're putting into their bodies? Give me a break. All right, our final headline of the week, USC men's basketball coach Tim Floyd made a direct cash payment to a man who helped deliver O.J. Mayo to the Trojans program. This according to Lewis Johnson, a former member of Mayo's inner circle. This story came out in uh, on YahooSports.com this week. It says Floyd gave at least $1,000 in cash to someone who allegedly lavished Mayo. Look, USC is under investigation, football and basketball. This certainly doesn't help the Trojans at all. And... You know, I'm one of those people that definitely raised my eyebrows a few years ago when I saw O.J. Mayo signed with USC. I was like, he's not going to Duke, North Carolina. He's one of the top recruits. Why is he going to USC? And people said, well, he wants to go to L.A. because they're going to market him and all that. Okay, then why aren't you going to UCLA? This is one of those stories where you go, wait a minute here. Something's not right, and uh, I'm not surprised to hear that he was probably paid. All right, it's time for another edition of Sweet Success, sponsored by Moose Tracks Ice Cream. Success. I have great news for you. How sweet it is. Right on, sweet sister. Time to highlight a winning move from the world of sports business. Oh, man, that's sweet. Sports Business Radio presents Sweet Success. That'd be sweet. Brought to you by Moose Tracks Ice Cream. To find Moose Tracks at a store near you, check out the store locator at moosetracks.com. So we talk often about the NHL on TV. Ever since they left ESPN, their ratings have declined sharply. 
People have a hard time finding them on Versus. Even on NBC, their ratings are not very good. On regional sports networks, they're okay. You know, we talked last week how uh, some of the ratings for the playoffs are up. They've gone from a 0.3 on Versus to a 0.4. Ooh, wow. (laughs) That's like static gets that kind of a rating on your TV, Nathan. Well, I mean, we'll see. But here's our sweet success for the week. FSN Pittsburgh's telecast earlier this week of Game 6 of the Caps-Penguins Eastern Conference semifinals earned a 24.2 local rating. 277,000 households in Pittsburgh tuned in. It was the most watched NHL game ever on the net and the highest rated NHL game ever for a regional sports network. So, Lots of people in Pittsburgh tuning in to watch Sidney Crosby against Alex Ovechkin. And overall, ratings on these regional sports networks and on Versus are up pretty dramatically during this postseason. So I still think the NHL needs to make a deal with ESPN and get off of Versus. But I think it's very successful and the NHL can hold their head high knowing that you're getting a 242 Biggest rating ever on an RSN. That's a successful week for your brand. Very successful week. I have to wonder, though, is it a one-hit wonder? Is it just this one game? Are we going to see ratings decline again for the NHL? I think it's probable. Well, I think this is kind of a a mirage because it's Ovechkin versus Crosby. It attracts the casual fan. So we'll have to see what happens from here on out. Sweet success brought to you by Moose Tracks Ice Cream. Go to moosetracks.com and click on the store locator to find the store in your city selling Moose Tracks Ice Cream. All right, coming up next, Ted Leonsis, the owner of the NHL's Washington Capitals, the team that employs Alex Ovechkin. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. I've got a confession to make. I'm a sucker for good ice cream. There's nothing better than watching a sporting event while enjoying an ice cream cone, or better yet, fixing an ice cream sundae with my daughter. Lucky for me, I found an indulgent ice cream at an affordable price. Moose Tracks ice cream comes in a variety of flavors, including chocolate moose tracks, extreme moose tracks, mint moose tracks, and of course, original moose tracks, just to name a few. What's my favorite moose tracks ice cream flavor? It's chocolate moose tracks which is chocolate ice cream with peanut butter cups and famous Moose Tracks fudge. For a chocoholic and peanut butter lover like me, it's heaven. What's your favorite Moose Tracks flavor? To find the Moose Tracks branded store nearest you, check out the store locator at moosetracks.com. That's M-O-O-S-E-T-R-A-C-K-S dot com. Or find the Moose Tracks banner on our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. Moose Tracks ice cream, the official ice cream of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Ted Leonsis. Ted is the founder, chairman, and majority owner of Lincoln Holdings, a sports and entertainment company that holds ownership rights in several Washington, D.C. entities, including 100% of the NHL's Washington Capitals and the WNBA's Washington Mystics. Lincoln Holdings also owns approximately 44% of Washington Sports and Entertainment Limited Partnership, which owns the NBA's Washington Wizards and D.C.'s Verizon Center. Ted Leonsis is known as one of the country's premier businessmen, having held numerous leadership positions at AOL. Ted, thanks for joining us this week on Sports Business Radio. Nice to talk to you. So 
you're an amazingly diverse individual. You're involved in many businesses, entertainment and charitable endeavors. Let's start with your role at AOL. You were one of the company's first employees and really one of the main visionaries for the company. How did AOL lay the foundation for the new media environment we live in today? Uh, Well, we were very, very cognizant of how complicated and tough to learn and use the Internet was. And we really set out to make it very accessible um, to consumers. And probably what I'm most proud of is that we took very, very tough, complicated things and made it very simple. And we got America online and built a very, very big franchise that had lots and lots of customers and really were the leader in that first generation of development of the Internet. You know, you talk about the development of the Internet. Now, from watching video on your handheld devices to blogging, the way we consume our information has really changed. As a pioneer of new media, what's the next phase of technology that we're going to be utilizing in our lives five years from now? Well, I think we're seeing bits and pieces of it right now in that you as an individual are in total control of your communications and information. All of the power has shifted to the consumer and away from the the high priest of media. And, you know, I, I joke we used to talk about 900 channel universes, and it's really coming down for me personally to one channel, WTED, information and communications and connectivity when and where I want it. And I live in this three-screen world, television and computer and my phone. And, you know, there's a, there's a way that I want to get information and be connected in each one of those form factors. And so this, we're going to have to live with this three-screen world. And, and media companies and sports and entertainment companies are going to have to be able to make information um, um, drinkable at whatever water fountain the individual wants to drink at. When I was growing up, I wanted to be a pro athlete, and then at about age 12, I realized that was never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Was that kind of the same for you? You know, I, I've listened to people say, well, they wanted to be an athlete or they wanted to be a coach. Did you ever say, I want to be a pro sports team owner when you were younger? Um, I was in a plane accident in 1982 and survived it. And I wrote down a list of the 101 things to do before I die. And in that list, I wrote on a professional sports team, win a championship. And so, you know, I've checked off one and I'm working hard on checking off the second one. Let's talk about that list for a minute. I was going to ask you about that, but we'll get into that now. You know, on this list, it's an amazing list. Uh, Meet Mickey Mantle, check. Play one-on-one with Michael Jordan, check. Sail the Mediterranean, check. Raise millions of dollars for charity, check. I mean, it's an amazing list. By my count, you've done 74 of the 101 things on the list. I mean, how did you come up with this list? You just described that you had a near-death experience, but how long after that experience did you come up with this list? Well, on the way down on the plane, um, I was negotiating pretty hard with a higher authority. And I said, please let me live. I promise I'll play offense with the rest of my life. I'll, I'll leave more than I take. Um, you know, you, you, you do everything to rationalize that what you did up to that point in your life wasn't enough. And 
but I realized afterwards that I didn't have a roadmap. I, most people, you don't know what will make for a full life. Yet in business, you're always metricing, you're always making lists, you're always doing goals and visioning statements and the like. And so I just felt that was a way to put something in writing and to drive me towards these achievements of, you know, trying to do good or trying to have fun or trying to give back. And that if I could live my life by that, that the second part of my life would be more fulfilling than the first part of my life. Yeah, I mean, the list is really impressive to me, A, because like you said, it does establish a roadmap, but it's not just you know, hey, I want to make money or, hey, I want to do this fun well, thing. Well, there's some of that. There. I'll be honest with you. I'm not very proud of the list. It was done, you know, I was 25 years old and sure. it was done like in a day. And I've, I've, it was kind of random. But you know, there's I've, family stuff too. I mean, there's, oh, yeah. there's, there's real human being stuff on that list. Yeah. And, and even, even the list has, um, I've tried to find a higher calling in it. I've spent a lot of my, last 10 years or so focused on, well, what did the list try to get at, which was you want to live a life without regret. You want to, you want to have a, um, a self-actualized life, and ultimately you want to be happy, right? That's the biggest deliverable. And so I spent a lot of time in looking at what makes people happy. And, you know, I have come, in fact, I'm writing a book right now, on the importance of happiness in all our businesses, that we're essentially in the happiness business in sports and filmmaking and even the Internet and, and media and new media business. And, and what seems to make people happy are five things. Um, the first is that they are an active participant in multiple communities of interest. Um, the second is that they have very high levels of personal empathy um, the third is that they self-express. Uh, there's a reason there's so many blogs out there. Um, the fourth is that they volunteer and that they give back and that they feel that they're connected as part of a team. And the fifth is that they're in pursuit of a higher calling. And what I try to do in all my business affairs and personal affairs is try to run what I'm doing through those screens. And if they... They don't have at least one of those check marks, and I won't do them. If they have all five of those check marks, then I'll pursue them with vigor. What's the name of this book, and when's it coming out? Because I, I want to go out and get it based uh, on what you just said. Thanks. It's unnamed right now. Um, if you go to my blog, you can help me um, take the, um, the happiness survey, and that'll help me. And the blog is tedstake.com, right? Yep. Ted, the economy has declined sharply in recent months. You have a stake in an NHL team, an NBA team, and a WNBA team. Which league is best set up to weather these tough economic times, in your opinion? Um, well, I think, I think uh, leagues that have salary caps, like the NHL, where the revenues are split proportionately between the players and the league, whether they go up or down, are best positioned. Um, if you have long-term guaranteed contracts, but the variable revenue goes down, 
your losses will increase. And so, you know, the, in the NHL, the players are our partners. You know, they're getting 55% or so of the revenues. If the revenues are up, it's a heyday for everyone. And if they go down, we all share in the pain. And so, you know, I think the NHL is in good shape. I think the NFL is in good shape. Teams that have um, um, leagues that have teams way over the salary cap and where their revenues are declining while their expenses increase dramatically, I think that's a bad situation. I want to ask you, as the owner of an NHL team, are you satisfied with the league's current TV deal with Versus, or would you like to see the league make a deal with the network that has broader distribution, like an ESPN? Well, I think bigger reach and more money would be great for all of us, but let's be honest, we couldn't get that, and, and Versus has been awesome. Versus love the game. Versus love the sport. They're, they made big investments. They're owned by Comcast. They're very committed, and you know they've been great partners, and you know we're kind of growing together. We have to remember that ESPN2 used the NHL to build its footprint, and Versus is doing that as well, and you know we have to be thrilled with the kind of commitment and and expenses and dollars that Versus is paying, and they've been fabulous partners. But yeah, I mean, I'd like to be on prime time, you know, all the time. Um, sure. But we just we don't have that luxury, and so we're in this together with Versus, and we want to do great by them. You have one of the most exciting, dynamic young players in the NHL on your team, the Washington Capitals, Alex Ovechkin. He's one of the elite players in the league. What can you and the league do to make him more of a household name and grow the Capitals brand as well as the NHL brand in the process? Well, I think he's crossing over already. Um, He's certainly a global superstar. Um, And he's arguably, you know, one of the number one or number two best known NHL players. He's MVP. He's very charismatic. Um, And, you know, what he probably needs is that breakthrough sponsorship national contract. He has some great deals locally. He has some great deals with with hockey suppliers and the like. But he, he doesn't have that Michael Jordan esque Nike kind of campaign where someone else's ad dollars are helping to build his brand. Right. Last question. You're obviously a go-getter. You're very successful. Anything you've touched has been very, very successful. You have a lot of passion. What advice can you give to our listeners to help them achieve their goals and dreams? Well, right now, I'm, the advice I'm giving everyone is catch your breath and remember it's only money and huh. that this downturn is unlike any others for the positive It is an equal opportunity value destroyer. We're all in this one together. It's not like there's any pocket, secret pocket of the economy that's doing very well. Right. And so, you know, it's time for us all to refocus on what's vitally important, what what matters in life, and to make sure that we're focused on those vital few. And, you know, we cut our budgets and cut our time and cut out the noise around the things that aren't that important. And I think we have to do that in our personal lives as well as well as our business lives. Great advice. Go to tedstake.com to read more of Ted's thoughts. He has a great blog. Ted Leonsis, I really appreciate you taking time great. and joining us on Sports Business Radio. Uh, appreciate it very much. Take care. You too.
Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection, not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu, and they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Super Sports Agent David Falk. He's represented more number one picks in the NBA draft than any other agent. He's best known as the visionary who teamed with Michael Jordan to revolutionize the way athletes are marketed. In addition to representing Jordan, Falk's client list also includes Patrick Ewing, James Worthy, former Georgetown basketball coach John Thompson, and current Duke basketball coach Mike Krzyzewski. Falk recently donated $5 million to his alma mater, Syracuse University, to kickstart the school's sports management program. He has a new book out called The Bald Truth, Secrets of Success from the Locker Room to the Boardroom, which is a business book that relates his experiences in the sports business world into general business lessons. David, thank you for joining us this week on Sports Business Radio. My pleasure. So I've enjoyed reading your book, The Bold Truth, and in your book you discuss your path to becoming the success you are today. Many people know you as the man who's made millions representing the likes of Michael Jordan and Patrick Ewing, but people may not realize that you started off at the bottom as an unpaid intern. What led you to want to become a sports agent so badly that you were willing to start off as an unpaid intern? Well, I was one of those, I guess, rare people that knew at an early age what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it, but I really, uh, I always wanted to be a lawyer, uh, and I always had a very um, strong love for sports. And when I was in college at Syracuse, uh, I got very close to a number of the basketball players, and uh, one of them was one of my really close friends, Greg Coles. Uh, He was like the sixth leading scorer in the country in our class, and by the time I became a senior, uh, and he was coming out and got drafted, I realized I didn't have a clue what I have to do to do the business. So I went to law school, and, and um, uh, I started meeting people and networking uh, really after my first year. And so when the opportunity came along um, uh, at, at ProServe to work with Donald Dell, um, they weren't hiring people with my background, and, and uh, I just offered to work for free. I didn't start at the bottom. I probably started below the bottom. You know, it's funny you talk about they weren't hiring people with my background. It's so hard for a lot of people to get a job today in sports because you have to have experience to get that job, right? Well, absolutely. The business has changed so dramatically. When I started, uh, it was maybe the first decade, if you will, of of, of sports being a business, of of being a manager. Mark McCormick really invented the business in the late 60s. And, um, 
you know, when I started off, I was more of a generalist. I did a little bit of everything. I negotiated contracts. I did marketing deals. I wrote contracts. I did research. And today, you know, to, to get a job, you really have to be a specialist in an area. You have to be in marketing or sales or IT or, you know, event event management. It's really, you could, I would never hire someone with my background because the business becomes so much more specialized. Interesting. Uh, one of the things I noted about you when you're doing, when I was doing the research for this interview, you donated $5 million to your alma mater, Syracuse, to kickstart the school sports management program. What led you to make this major contribution? I mean, that's a big contribution. Well, as I mentioned in my book, my mother was a teacher at Pearl Falk, and she was you know, the, the most important um, influence in my life. And um, I think I've always had a little bit of a teaching instinct in me, and I've, you know, I've done guest lecturing quite a bit. And, uh, you know, the Chancellor, Nancy Cantor, had approached me and thought that it um, would be a great way to have a program that was sort of experiential, where you wouldn't just be teaching about academics, but you could have people, you know, I could bring in people from the field that could give, you know, a hands-on uh, view to the students of what the industry is. And we've assembled a board, a very, very uh, successful board. Rick Burton, who used to be the head of the program at the University of Oregon, is on my board, and Brandon Steiner, who owns the collectibles business on the board. I have Art Monk, who's a Hall of Fame football client on, on our board. And there's some tremendous people on the board that um, that can lend the students um, you know, a really practical view of, of, wh- of where the business is and what it takes to get in. And I absolutely love, you know, I absolutely love it. I had a, you know, I met my wife at Syracuse. My younger daughter goes to Syracuse, so it's. Uh, well, I've never represented a player from Syracuse, which is sort of an irony. I have a huh. very strong fondness. You know, from my experience at the school, and it's uh, and it's been a great reward for me to spend time with the students. You're best known as the person behind Michael Jordan's off the court successes. Uh, share with us the story about how you and Michael Jordan met and how he became a client of yours, if you would. Well, what happened was, um, you know, the firm I worked for was called ProServe, and the two senior people, Donald Dell and Frank Regal, had had a long term relationship with with Coach Smith. Frank actually went to the University of North Carolina was a Moorhead scholar. And uh, before I joined the firm, they'd represented uh, early players like George Carls, the coach at Denver now, and Dennis Wysick and Bobby Jones. And uh, Dean would screen all the agents. And uh, when Michael came out in 1984 with Sam Perkins, uh, there had been actually six groups during his tenure that had represented Carolina players. He invited them all in, gave them each an hour. Um, and, you know, uh, I wouldn't say that I was the, the – um, you know the, the deal breaker in that kind of a thing. I think you know the relationship between Dean and, and Donald Dell was very important. But once Michael became a client, I was running basketball at the time, and we got very close. And uh, you know he had known of my relationship with you know earlier clients like Phil Ford and James Worthy and Dudley Bradley and Michael Corn, who I'd spent you know a lot of my time with. And so he actually knew quite a bit about our operation. It wasn't like we came in and, and dazzled him. I think he was just comfortable that we'd you know, done a really good job you know, managing the predecessors at Carolina. One of the things I love about your book is the insight that you share, The Bold Truth by David Falk. It's in bookstores now. Uh, The part of your book that I just found fascinating was where you talked about Michael Jordan's shoe deals, and you talked about how he was really an Adidas guy, and Nike was uh, a distant third behind Adidas and Converse to the point where you even had to plead with his parents to get him on a plane to come out to Nike's presentation. Now, you know, Michael Jordan and Nike are synonymous. Maybe you can talk a little bit to our listeners about how that all came together. And really, I believe that that relationship with Nike, because they were willing to spend so much money on advertising and make Michael Jordan bigger than life, I think that was the foundation for his other deals. 
No question. I think the Nike deal jump-started his market, no, no pun intended, you know, jump-started his marketing success. But, you know, it's hard for young people today to understand what the world looked like in 1984. In 1984, you know, the stars in the NBA were, were obviously Magic and, and Bird, um, Dr. J. None of those players had their own shoes. Um, you know, they all they all were just simply endorsers, you know, for, for other companies. And, um, you know, I had worked with a lot of tennis players. I worked with Arthur Ashe and Stan Smith. Uh, and tennis players and golfers routinely had their own products. They had their own tennis rackets, golf clubs, shoes, clothes. And so when, uh, two years before Michael came out, you know, I had represented James Worthy. And I had negotiated the largest shoe deal in the history of the NBA for, for James when he was a rookie. Uh, with New Balance, he was the only player they had, and so there had been an evolution in the business. Um, and so when Michael finally came out in '84, uh, and I went to see him at the Olympics and realized that he was a man among boys at the Olympics in Los Angeles in, in 1984. He was, you know, amongst you know Patrick Ewing and you know Chris Mullen, just a, Sam Perkins, a whole host of great players. He just on and international stars. He just stood out. He it was like it was like a pro player play against high school kids and while no one knew how great he'd be as a player it was obvious that he was going to be a really exciting player and so when we went to the shoe companies for michael i told them all we're not going to make offers you know we want to know what can you do to promote to promote this man um and most of them thought i was crazy and they said hey what do you mean promote him we're going to just sign him you know we're going to sign him and give him free product and um you know he'll join our staff in fact converse we had our meeting with converse which is ironically owned by Nike now, um, you know, they said we have 66 executives at the company, six foot six and over, <laughs> and we're you know we're going to treat you just like all the other you know great players we have. And Michael's father, James, had been to several of the meetings. Said, uh, "Well, gosh, don't you guys have any new creative ideas?" And they looked at him like, "Like, what are you kidding me? Like, why do we need to be creative? This is not really complicated. Just sign the deal and and lace up the shoes." And so. Nike was at a point where they really weren't not established in basketball. They were in basketball, but they weren't really a, a major factor like they are today. Uh, and I had had an outstanding relationship with Phil and Rob Strasser in the early days when the company was very small and entrepreneurial. I'm a, a great admirer of Phil's. And, um, you know, we basically brought them, Jordan, because I thought it was the best fit. You know, I thought that they needed him the most. They would be the most hungry. They'd be the most entrepreneurial. They'd be the most creative and, and you know, all those and they, and they're all of those things and more. You know, I thought my favorite chapter in the whole book was chapter four. It's entitled See the Whole Court. And the reason I enjoyed this chapter so much was because the insight you shared in the negotiations and things like that with your clients, but you talk you have one phrase that just hit me and it says, Don't just see what is happening anticipate what's happening. We talk about that in the sports world so much, how the game slows down for the great players and they can see plays before they happen. But we don't really talk about it that much in the business world, and it makes total sense. You saw kind of the game before it was happening 25, 30 years ago with Michael Jordan. And as you just said, you know, now who's going to take that to the next level? Well, you know, I think, you know, I'm a lawyer, and lawyers spend a lot of time, Brian, looking at precedents, things that happened in the past, sometimes hundreds of years ago, as a guideline to, to how decisions are made. But in business, you know, when you spend a lot of time looking in your rearview mirror, you know, you, you're going to get into an accident. you got you got to be looking in front of you and trying to understand, like, I mean, a great race car driver has got to see, you know, hundreds of yards ahead of him and, and decide when he's going to take the turn. And I think when you're managing people, You've got to get a sense of where 
you know, where the trends are going, not where they've been, because they change so quickly. I mean, I'll give you a great story. You know, when when we came out with the first Air Jordans in 1985, they were black and red. People said they were really ugly, but they sold $130 million worth of shoes, which is more than every other shoe company that did basketball. They outsold, you know, Converse and Adidas. It was unbelievable. So every company for year two came out with a black and red shoe. And we sat down with, you know, with Tinker Hatfield, the designers at Nike, and we decided, we sort of knew that was going to happen. And we came up with an all-white shoe for year two. So when everyone said, hey, we know it's cool. Here's a black and red shoe. We were saying, hey, that's not cool anymore. What's cool now is white. And, and I think that, you know, I think, you know, particularly in fashion, the business trends change so quickly. You know, in the age of technology, you know, things are changing so quickly. That if you can't, you know, sort of what Bill Gates wrote when he wrote the book, The Road Ahead, if you can't anticipate where it's going, you, you're going to get left behind. All right, last question for you. You talk about negotiations in your book in great detail. You've negotiated with other NBA GMs, shoe executives. Uh, you've talked to college coaches about trying to convince them to let you recruit the player to sign them as a client. Who's the toughest person that you've ever negotiated with? You know, it's almost an impossible question to answer. I mean, people are tough for different reasons. People are tough because they're smart, like a Jerry Reinsdorf. I think, I think in basketball, one of the toughest guys was a was a gentleman who used to own the San Antonio Spurs, named Angelo Derosas. He was in a very small market, very very bright guy, and he came up with a really ingenious system where he would give all the players, whether they're stars like Gervin, bonuses based on how many games the team won took away individual incentives and said, look, if we're successful, we'll all, we're all going to make more money. Um, and I think that was really a, really a bright idea. There are people that are tough because they're stubborn. You know, uh, I think there are people that, you know, that make mistakes and, and, and lose players. Um, and, and I think they're all tough in different ways. But at the end of the day, what's great about the NBA is that it's so small. There's only 30 teams and 450 players. You have to deal with the same people over and over again. And the point I try to make in the book is that it's not in the long term. You don't win anything by being tough. You may you may win a battle, you know, here and there, but you know you want to win the championship. And to win the championship, no team wins 82 games. You got to lose a few along the way. You got to win the key ones. And that's the same thing in negotiations. You know, it doesn't it doesn't pay to be tough. You want you want to be effective. Well, David Falk, he is the author of The Bold Truth, Secrets of Success from the Locker Room to the Boardroom. It's in bookstores now or on Amazon.com. Tremendous book. Check it out. David, I've had this show on the air for five years. I've wanted to have you on for five years, so I'm glad that we finally got to connect. Well, I really enjoy it. Let's, let's not wait another five years before we do it again. That sounds great. Thank you very much for your time this week. My pleasure. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. 
Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. After seeing fans jam London's Wembley Stadium to watch the NFL the past two years, the league is considering adding a second regular season game overseas and in time for the 2010 season. Commissioner Roger Goodell said Tuesday the second game could also be played in London or another location in the United Kingdom. Nathan, what do you think about adding a second regular season game? You know, people talk about the marketing and promoting the brand abroad, but a lot of the players and coaches don't like making that long trip. Well, here's the difference. The NFL teams get a week off, sometimes two in between games. So jet lag wouldn't be an issue the same way it would for Major League Baseball and and an NBA team. I think that this is great. We talk about the globalization of American sports all the time on this show, the NBA. I think this would be a great move for the NFL. And look at how successful it's been in the past, especially at Wembley. The NFL first staged a regular season game in London in 2007 when the New York Giants beat the Miami Dolphins 13-10. to Last year, the New Orleans Saints beat the San Diego Chargers 37-32. So, yeah, look, David Stern's done a great job promoting his brand abroad. I can tell you from being in China, no one in China knows about the NFL. So if you can promote the NFL's brand in Europe, it's a good start. All right, lots of thank yous on our show this week. Our show staff, Nathan Roach. Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Moose Tracks Ice Cream, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Morton's The Steakhouse, and Evergreen Media Training, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. Follow us via Twitter and Facebook. Just go on to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the blog page. Look in the left-hand column, and you can see the direct links to our Facebook and Twitter pages. I'm Brian Berger. Have a tremendous week. We'll talk to you next week on Sports Business Radio. Greg Oden of the Portland Trailblazers supports the Ronald McDonald Houses. I'm a big fan of the houses. Happy to help them make a difference. He helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times. And everyone can support this home away from home. When you purchase a McCafe Espresso drink or premium roast coffee, McDonald's donates a portion of proceeds to Ronald McDonald House charities in Oregon and Southwest Washington. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. A little change can make a big difference. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. 